Your weekend begins in Crystal Palette's wine country with sommelier Crystal Cameron Shad. Every week, Crystal takes your palate on a journey from the vineyard to the glass and opens your mind to the endless choices that await your next sip. Uncork your passion starting now on your trip through wine country on Seaville 1075 and 1260 WCHV. And good morning. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're taking the show on the road this week for a visit to Saudi Creek, a member of Virginia's Colonial Wine Trail, which is also home to Williamsburg Winery, New Kent and James River Cellars, and the newest addition, Upper Shirley. Today we're celebrating the kickoff of Virginia Vineyards Month. Thought it would be a great time to stop by and check out some of the uh, wonderful vineyards down, uh, down in the uh, eastern part of the state. The property is owned by John Britt and Jason Knight. Jason also serves as the winemaker for Saudi Creek, and he's taking some time to be with us today. Jason, th thanks so much for inviting us down here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's great to be here and check out this beautiful property. It's a hidden off of uh, 64, but not yeah. too far uh, of a little jaunt off uh, Highway 64 near Williamsburg. What a beautiful property, too. Like so many estates in Virginia, it has a, an incredible historic past. Can you share that a little bit with our listeners today? Well, the uh, historic property hadn't changed hands in many years. The Ames family, which uh, had it uh, in the late 1700s uh, and into the 1800s, uh, as you can see, as you were coming into the property on the left-hand side, you know, there's a, a graveyard that's there that's uh, uh, that dates back to 1831 and 32. There's uh, three graves that are in that site. Um, also uh, in this area uh, was uh, a place uh, called Frank's Tavern, which was a public. And as we know, with George Washington being in this area close to uh, the Dandridges, uh, this is where he would stop um, either at Pony Point Landing, which was the landing that is down at the water, uh, just uh, in front of the wineries, you see the Pamunkey River, um, and uh, the old roadway that went through here would have been one of his traveling spots. So as, as we know, he kept very good records um, and uh, shows uh, on several occasions where he stopped and also met uh, General Rochambeau uh, at Frank's Tavern. Do we know exactly where Frank's Tavern was on the site? We don't, um, but uh, there were several uh, old, old home sites uh, on this property that was bought. Originally, this was a 200-acre uh, property. Um, 100 of it has since been subdivided off and has been made into a neighborhood. Um, we took uh, the other 100 acres and uh, developed it into what you now see as, uh, as Saudi Creek Vineyards. You know, people ask me all the time, why, why here? Um, was this the best uh, uh, ground to grow a grape on? Was this... Um, um, what what measurements did you take in order to just decide that this was where you were going to make this big investment? And the the reality was is um, this we had no idea walking through these woods well before we ever cleared the first tree had no idea how high in the county we were. Um, so as we began clearing the trees, this this property was it was gorgeous and. And actually, the winery sits at 140-some-odd feet above sea level, and that is the highest point in New Kent County. So we see over these mature oak treetops all the way to the Pamunkey River. And, you know, for me, um, this was about creating a, um, 
it was about creating an environment that people felt comfortable being at. Mm -hmm. um, so it was as much about agritourism as it was about um, uh, having, a, having a venue that people could come relax and think that they were somewhere else, uh, not only through the environment or, and to the folks that worked here, but also just the beautiful views and the, you know, the landscaping. And uh, it makes you feel like you're somewhere else. And everybody that uh, so many people that show up, they come and they say, wow, I, I never knew this existed. And I have to say, this is actually my first time here today, and just driving up the gently sloping, mm -hmm. you know, trail to get up here, and then you see this big, beautiful, majestic winery and just acres yeah. of vineyards. It really is an awe-inspiring sight, and it's so close to so many uh, metropolitan areas. You're close yeah. to Richmond, Williamsburg, Hampton Roads, but yet you seem like you're so far away up here, which is probably, you know, one of the reasons that you yes. built out here. Uh, we talked a little bit about the land, and mm -hmm. we think of Virginia. Well, first of all, it's very cool that George Washington has been traipsing through this <laughs> yes, property right. back in his day. I think that is really fascinating. Uh, spent some time in France a couple of years ago, and being able to go to Montrachet, where Thomas mm -hmm. Jefferson was, too, was just such a... Being in touch with that history, I think, is a very cool part of the story, and that's what I love to tell on this, the show, is mm -hmm. all about the stories. Uh, but when you go back to this property and you look at where most of the success in Virginia has mm -hmm. been historically, Northern Virginia, Central Virginia, even the Shenandoah Valley, even though we're making wine from the Eastern Shore all the way to uh, the Tri-Cities area. But from the viticultural standpoint, let's kind of dive into that mm -hmm. for a minute. Uh, we have five vineyards now on the Colonial Williamsburg Trail. Mm -hmm. What is it about this area that you see as such a promising site for Virginia viticulture? Well... You know, what's what's um, a little uncommon about this uh, piece of property versus others is, is we change, uh, the ground changes so much to these, since we're so high up on top of this hill, we've got, we've got ground uh, down in the lower vineyards, um, which are very sandy loam. Um, a lot of the, uh, the ground that's on the slopes that we have here, heavy clay. Um, so we change, uh, it's, it's interesting from, from an agronomy standpoint, where our souls are changing. I'm not saying that that just makes that much better. Um, it is definitely unique to the flavor profile that we find here. Um, and uh, it's, it, um, it works for us. Um, it does require you to spend some additional time, especially with the heavy clay soils. Uh, so we do have to change some of the things that we're doing uh, through the fertigation and, and whatever we need to do to make sure that the vines have what they need. Um, but it, it works for us. And you're, uh, you're fairly new to the Virginia wine scene. Yes. You guys came on board in 2008, I believe you bought the property? Uh, and, yes. And when were the first vines planted? So um, the first vines were planted uh, in, um, the first vines were planted in 2009. Um, but before we came here, um, we were at Hill Pleasant Farms in uh, Williamsburg, which is right next to the pottery. That was a 400-acre farm, which was an originally, uh, it was a, a peach and apples. They sold apples. Um, and we had leased all that when the farmer retired and began to, uh, we did a farm stand and we began to process ciders. We thought that that was the, the wave of the future. Well, at least that was my idea of the wave of the future. Um, and uh, that's where we got started before we ever were on this property. We um, had a license to produce uh, ciders and wine uh, in Williamsburg. So our first wine was Saudi Creek White, 
uh, which is a dry apple wine. So, and we still have it today, the, the apples, we only have about three acres of apples there. We have about a thousand trees on this property now. Uh, and we still press it from an old 1953 uh, wood press uh, that's on site. And then we bring the juice back here and we ferment here uh, at the winery. So it's still a unique history for us to come from that uh, to now. Kind of uh, taking what you know and bringing it with you. The, you know, and the reality was it's, it's, it's kind of a survival thing because I personally thought that people were just going to stop off the side of the road and buy all this fresh cider. Um, and, and I didn't really know what to do with a couple of thousand gallons of fresh cider that doesn't last forever. Um, so uh, it does make good wine, though. It so. does, and we are seeing a revolution, not just in the wine industry, but That's the cider right. and the uh, the breweries and the distilleries. That's it's amazing right. the growth of the beverage industry as a whole. Um, we're going to talk about the wine portfolio in just a couple minutes because yes. you have a pretty vast selection. I want to mm -hmm. kind of take a deep dive into that. Uh, before we head to break, I do want to talk real quickly about uh, the actual winery because mm -hmm. you've also added some, or shall I say, you've taken some of that uh, history from the region and tied it into the building of the winery. So um, the, the building's unique. You know, you, we, when looking at this, this was about, like I said before, we want people to come here and um, we want them to forget the world that they're in, whatever it is, and we want them to come and relax and we want them to stay a while. Um, it's a very inviting place. Um, the structure of the building is very craftsman. Um, a lot of the materials that have been used um, on the site are very old. Um, as you can see, the beams that go around this, the massive deck that uh, swoops around this uh, property, um, those are uh, beams that were taken out of old tobacco warehouses that have been reused. Um, the wood that's in the ceilings uh, here, this is all cypress wood that um, we uh, bought uh, rough sewn and then we uh, tongue and grooved it and made all that stuff ourselves to uh, install for all the ceilings on the property. The outside of the building is board and batten um, that's all from rough sawn cedar. The Anirondack chairs that are out on the deck was all off of uh, trees, uh, cedar trees on this property that we harvested and then had uh, seats made from it. Um, you know, the, the whole idea, um, you want to feel good and you want to feel comfortable and you want to stay for a while. And that has always been um, the goal when building this winery. It is very charming, and I uh, can't wait to explore a little bit more here and, uh, in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Crystal Palette's Wine Country, and on the other side, we're going to talk a lot more about the uh, wonderful portfolio of wine here at Saudi Creek Vineyards. Stay with us. It's spring in Virginia, and things are starting to pop, especially corks. April is Virginia Vineyard Month, and it's a great time to get out and find your favorites. Over 260 breathtaking vineyards are rolling out the welcome mat with special tastings, music, and local cuisine. There are world-class wines being made in every region of our state. Just go to virginiawine.org to plan your trip and start popping.
And thanks so much for staying with us. If you're just tuning into the program, we're uh, taking a little road trip today down Interstate 64. We made a stop off exit 220 down at Saudi Creek Vineyards. And I have the pleasure of talking with Jason Knight today, who is the winemaker. Uh, if you're not familiar, Saudi Creek's been on the Virginia wine scene for going on almost a decade now. And uh, they're one of five vineyards in the Colonial uh, Williamsburg Wine Trail. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about um, Jason, you know, how you got started into mm -hmm. wine. And first of all, let's talk about where did the name Saudi Creek come from? So Saudi Creek is actually a small creek uh, that ran behind my grandmother's house in North Alabama. So not a lot of people know this story. Um, the, the, uh, it is not spelled S-A-U-D-E. Um, it is spelled S-A-U-T-Y, which was a Cherokee. It's an Indian name. Um, and um, I, um, I grew up, my parents were Southern Baptist missionaries. So, you know, of course, you know, missionary kids go into alcohol business. Why not? <laughs> um, so it took me a while to tell my mom, says, oh, yeah, mom, I, uh, I own a winery now and make wine, which she was like, well, what did you name it? And I says, well, Saudi Creek. She said, that is so cool. How did you spell it? S-A-U-D-E. She says, well, you should have called me and I would have told you the right spelling. So I says, well, then I'm going to have to put an accent over the E because it's got to sound somewhat like. So you didn't know the spelling. You didn't know the spelling. No, I didn't oh, check the spelling. We so, get a little French Alabama that's, twist that's, on that's it, right? That's exactly <laughs> French Alabama twist. Uh, so anytime you put an accent grave or egret on something, Absolutely. you know, changes the pronunciation. So. Oh, but that's awesome. A little bit of home here in Virginia for that's, you. That's, that's right. That's well, right. let's dive in and talk a little bit about uh, the wine portfolio here. You have mm -hmm. 20 acres under vine. You're mm -hmm. growing several different varietals. Uh, talk a little bit about um, your your portfolio, what you're growing, and what are you seeing the best success with? I think every, at least for me as a winemaker, um, uh, the, the big reds are where it's at. Um, we make a lot of white wine, um, sweet, dry, uh, but we also make uh, quite a few reds. Um, on the property uh, under vine, um, and you know, in, in looking at how do you plant and what do you plant, it's all about how versatile do you want your portfolio and uh, whether a grape is only good for um, that type of wine. Um, uh, as an example, um, Traminette, um, which is a, a very fruity, heavy floral type of wine, um, it can be blended into several other wines, but not everything, or it will pick up those same rose petal, floral notes, some honeysuckle, mm -hmm. and those kind of items. So you got to be careful uh, with those. And for those that aren't familiar, Traumanet's a little kind of, kind of a little bit like a Gewurztraminer almost. Exactly. It's got a little bit of spice yeah, one to of the, it, that one rose of the, petals. One of the parents. Exactly. Yeah, it's Gewurz. Yeah, and it's a nice alternative for those that may like a Riesling or Gewurz and exactly. try something new. Um, and, you know, where Vignet, which is, you know, some people have said, oh, well, that's, that's Virginia's white. You know, Vignet is, is, a, is an easy, it's a great uh, by itself uh, varietal. It's an easy blending wine. Uh, you can uh, add those notes um, for those peach and apricot and stuff. You can push that into a Chardonnay and make a really nice blended uh, uh, wine with that. From your experience playing around with Viognier, because mm -hmm. it is very popular here in Virginia, comes from France, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the biggest critiques about Viognier, at least from the service industry, is that the lack of acidity in the Viognier compared to so many other white grapes. It is. And, you know, um, playing around with the acids and, and if it doesn't naturally produce or 
what uh, that grape will naturally produce on its own, either in uh, the ground that you have or just that grape being uh, naturally flat, mm -hmm. basically, uh, and the pH is uh, or historically um, just low and low acidic. Um, it, it's a challenge. But you can, I, I am a big fan, yes, we have a straight bridal beignet, but I'm also a big fan of adding Chardonnay and pushing that into a, one of our wines called Pamunkey Fall, which is a dry wine. Sometimes it's a Chardonnay Chardonnay with some beignet, sometimes it's Chardonnay beignet. So it, it, can, be, it, it can be whatever makes the wine uh, perform the best. Uh, and the flavor profile is exactly what you want. And that's the great thing about wine. Um, if you don't like it uh, that way, and it's really not about what I like, it's about what everybody else uh, likes. So, you know, I may be a big, heavy red wine, bold white, red wine drinker, um, but I also uh, know that I need to make a really nice, sweet white wine. Um, I'm sure people have come in and asked me for Moscato, right? That is so exactly, uh, yeah. exactly right. But you got to start somewhere. You do. Moscato's can be very charming, but yes. you got to start somewhere. And there's just a whole, I always say, you know, there's such a world of wine to be discovered. Thousands of varietals. Be open-minded and, you know, grow what you can do well in our terroir, in our soil here right. in Virginia. And even when you look at Virginia as a whole, there's so many different microclimates and soil types throughout the state. So a lot of people say, you know, when they're, when you're getting into this industry and, and they're like, well, and I get a lot of calls from folks that said, I'm, I'm planting an acre of vines or I'm planting five acres. What would you recommend? And this is every year I get a phone call and it's hard to answer that question. I can tell people what the high demand for fruit is in Virginia um, for, for winemaking but I can't tell them what works on their ground, uh, where they're planting it, what kind of environment is that gonna be in. So I believe it is definitely unique to every piece of property. It is unique from one acre on top of this hill to five acres on the bottom because of the soil types. And the fruit produces differently. It has a different flavor profile. Not, not huge swings, but I can tell it. So let's get back to your portfolio for yes. a second. Um, we talked a little bit about Tremonet, mm -hmm. Viognier. Uh, you're also doing Petit Verdot, Petit mm -hmm. Mensing, Vidal Blanc, mm -hmm. and a Chambresson, which is mm -hmm. a French-American hybrid. Yes. And it's very popular here in Virginia. Talk it is. a little bit about why you think that is. And Well, I, I think one of the things, you know, so the, the, um, the fruit is super dark. Um, the wine that's produced from it is, is super dark wine. Um, you don't get that a lot for some of the cabs that you see out that may be a little light sometimes, some years. Uh, but for the most part, we don't see those dark, jammy colors that you'll see in other parts of the country. Um, Chamberson is one of those. Now, being a, a hybrid, um, the harvest time is better for our, for our area. So we don't see a lot of late frost damage like we saw last year on some of the other fruit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as an example... Uh, you know, I was looking back, you know, we, we had over 50% uh, loss on, and in some cases, the vignette was a complete wipeout with the late frost. Uh, Traminette was 75% of the Traminette. Vidal Blanc, which is a, a it's a French-American hybrid also, primarily grown up in the upstate New York in those areas mm -hmm. for ice wines. We had uh, very little loss in that. Chamberson, another hybrid, had loss, little loss in that. It was almost a total loss of Petit Verdot and Petit Mansin. 
So and these this are, is all 2016. This, this is all 2016, yeah. and this is farming. Mm -hmm. You know, 2015 was excellent, and the wine produced from it was excellent, and their yields were excellent. Mm -hmm. um, so this is farming. Uh, and every its region entire... has its challenges, and that's why that's every right. vintage, you know, when, when I often get asked by people, vintages do matter. And it's Very all about so. Mother Nature, particularly, I think, in the east coast of the United States, because we probably have more temperature swings. That's right. Um, the risk of hurricanes, things like that, can really impact what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's no different than you know. It's kind of like the, the the barrels that this wine, the red wines, are aged in. The American oak comes from, you know, uh, primarily from uh, Missouri and these areas where you have these these climates that don't change that much. That has that tight that that the uh, the much more tight structure of the wood that you wouldn't have on the East Coast per se. No different for the grapes. Uh, talking about oak portfolio, you mentioned American oak. Are you doing a strictly American, a little French, or what's your? What's so your um, both. Um, so I ordered like uh, the, over the past year uh, a dozen uh, straight French barrels uh, with uh, heavy uh, toast, as well as um, American. Um, uh, and I'm using uh, from a um, from a guy in Missouri called Hoffmeister. And I, what I have found is. Um, we do hybrid barrels also where the heads, as, as some people may not be aware, the heads are French. Um, the staves, everything else is, is uh, going to be American. Uh, you'll get a little bit of that vanilla as well as some of those leathery notes and uh, some of the pepper and the spice. So it's a great way to incorporate all those flavors with one it barrel is. by doing the hybrid, and that's something that probably it a lot is. of people don't know about. So, so the, but one of the things, and and I've, you know, the fun thing about a wine as a winemaker, you know, you get to play around with things. So. Uh, I've been, you know, I like to play around with um, with neutral barrels um, that uh, that I can use uh, different spirals in. So um, these are fire, uh, these are um, toasted spirals that um, can uh, that I can put in those neutral oak barrels to either impart uh, heavy toast French, medium toast Hungarian oak. I can play around with the different flavor profiles to see what exactly is the best barrel for this wine. And not all wine ages the same in any barrel. So you'll yeah. learn to, to find those tricks. Yeah, there, there's so many elements. And I know as we go through the show, we try to educate our listeners on there's just so many dynamics when it comes to winemaking that impart the flavor. It's the grape. It's the soil. Right. It's the oak making. It's, it's the a, winemaker's technique. There's so right. many things. And we don't have time to dive further into <laughs> that today. Yeah. We have a 30-minute show. Yeah. But I know you did pour us a, a nice glass of red. And I want you to tell us a little bit about what's in our glass. And let's right. talk about it. So this is a uh, 2013 Capsov. Um, you know, this is uh, this has got some jammy notes to it. Uh, one of my favorites, the 14, which is still sitting in the bottle waiting to get released. Um, also, uh, an excellent wine. You know, is it after 12? Because you know we are we are drinking. <laughs> well, you know. It's five o'clock somewhere. It like, is. As the saying goes, as Jimmy Buffett coined that, it's five o'clock somewhere. You so. know, uh, the thing is, um, as a winemaker, you have to taste everything, and usually um, every day. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, so uh, it's uh, you just don't need to have an addictive personality. 
is a winemaker. No, that's about no, it. No, that is probably a really bad, really bad mix there. That's I'm right. working on uh, my diploma program for the W set right now, and uh, you know, it's it's we drink so much wine, but you, you know, people are like, why do you spit your wine? I'm like, you have to. You can't right. drink all that wine. But, and you're um, responding. Uh, you're responding to the demand for a lot of reds. Red yes. blends and big reds are obviously very in vogue now, especially in America. And you're responding to this, and uh, you you did purchase the juice for the Cab yes. Sauv. Uh, but you're the making everything the yes. grapes. You, mm-hmm. you purchased the grapes. You're making everything here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, everything is fermented and processed here. Okay. Um, and the Petit Verdot is the red you're growing in Chambersan are the two. Yeah. Red. So yeah, and the Petit Verdot, which is you know uh, one of my one of my favorites, the 2014, um, that has just recently been uh, released, and you know we're, you're talking no more 24 months in uh, French and American oak. Um, it sounds delicious. It is. It's I love, very a, delicious. I love a good petite Verdot. And I and I've I kept they've they've uh, upstairs. They keep telling me that I can't drink any more of it. Got to save um, some for the customers, you right? Got to save some, but um, <laughs> it's funny that we, I'm, I'm fighting them on that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you have your fill, <laughs> yes, right? So it's it's interesting with petite yeah. Verdot. We're seeing so much success statewide with petite Verdot yes. right now. It's just such an approachable wine and you look at the history it was always used as a blending grape why, why are you seeing so much success and why are you enjoying uh, petite Verdot here you know I, I think um, I think people are coming back to there's so many people in wine now that um, the uh, that uh, the Millennials uh, you know people say oh the Millennials this and and that the Millennials are buying this uh, these the petite Verdot at that high price point they are they are looking for um, the nicer reds. They're looking for the drier whites. Um, this is where we're going. There's some people that are entering into wine for the first time that are starting on the sweeter side of things, but the progression is always the same. And you began to move to the drier side, whether it's whites or reds, because you're you are you are finding a, a you are finding something that you had no idea existed. And there's so many variations that you never will get with a sweet wine um, because it's covering it all up. And okay. as you start stripping that away, what you have is the raw fruit and the, and the, and the great taste of that wine. That's, we have a few minutes left in the show, and I want to make sure we're getting to a future plans for Saudi mm-hmm. Creek. Uh, what's next for you guys? You guys have seen pretty good growth in the past yes, decade, and uh, so. you probably had l- learned a lot, made maybe some mistakes along the way. Yeah. Uh, what, what's next for you guys? Well. I uh, wish it. Uh, I wish that this had been a bigger place. Really? Uh, you know, you, you never know. Every time you build something, uh, and and you got to remember, this this started uh, as as a as a design on the back of a napkin. Like so many great business like models. So many great business <laughs> right? models. You know, classic <laughs> entrepreneurial spirit uh, is at work here. Right. Um, we uh, th- this is all about creating an environment. The landscaping is is immaculate. There's tons of paver patios. There's, there's all these areas because we want people to stay. You know, any expansion plans for any more vineyards? I mean, you have what, hundred acres, 20 acres under vine. Yes. Do you have any plans to expand? Yeah, so we have a 10 acre, we have a 10 acre piece that's ready, um, to expand. Um, and when we expand, that's going to be into, uh, Merlot, uh, Chardonnay, uh, one of our primaries that I like to use. Um, and uh, Chardonnay. Okay. Um, so those are going to be the three that we're going to key in on. Um, Cab Franc and some of the others that uh, that we have. Um, I've got some great relationships with vineyards in Virginia that 
we're able to source that fruit that can grow it at a higher elevation than we can that just uh, seems to produce a great product. For those of uh, the folks listening in today, how do they find you and uh, what are your tasting room hours? So we're open uh, six days a week uh, from uh, 11 to 6. Uh, you can go on the website, SaudiCreek.com. Let's spell S that again. That's S-A-U-D-E-C-R-E-E-K.com. Uh, and that will uh, send you to uh, the maps uh, on how to get here. Uh, so there's live music. Uh, we have music Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. That's all year round. Oh, wow. Um, okay, great. So on Friday nights, um, uh, it's nice. You can come, uh, and uh, we have a barbecue uh, vendor that's here every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So people can come either bring their own picnic or come and uh, relax and get a bottle of wine and get something to eat. I'll tell you what, Petite Bordeaux and barbecue, now you're speaking that, my that, language. It is. That. Jason, thanks so much for taking time for us today. And, uh, thanks so much for tuning in today. I'll uh, see you back here next weekend, same time. Cheers.